Chapter Twenty Eight of Joshua by George Ebers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight. The larger portion of the Amalekites had perished or lay wounded on the battlefield. Joshua knew that the other desert tribes, according to their custom, would abandon their defeated companions and return to their own homes. Yet it seemed probable that despair would give the routed warriors courage not to let their oasis fall into the hands of the Hebrews without striking a blow. But Joshua's warriors were too much exhausted for it to be possible to lead them onward at once. He himself was bleeding from several slight wounds, and the exertions of the last few days were making themselves felt on his hardened frame. Besides the sun, which, when the battle began, had just risen, was already sinking to rest, and should it prove necessary to force an entrance into the oasis, it was not advisable to fight in darkness. What he, and still more, his brave warriors needed was rest, until the gray dawn of early morning. He saw around him only glad faces, radiant with proud self-reliance, and as he commanded the troops to disband, in order to celebrate the victory in the camp with their relatives, each body that filed slowly and wearily past him burst into cheers as fresh and resonant as though they had forgotten the exhaustion which so short a time before had bowed every head and burdened every foot hail to joshua hail to the victor still echoed from the cliffs after the last band had disappeared from his gaze but far more distinctly the words with which moses had thanked him rang in his soul they were thou hast proved thyself a true sword of the most high strong and steadfast so long as the lord is thy help and jehovah our standard we need fear no foes he fancied he still felt on his brow and hair the kiss of the mighty man of god who had clasped him to his breast in the presence of all the people and it was no small thing to master the excitement which the close of this momentous day awakened in him a strong desire to regain perfect self-possession ere he again mingled in the jubilant throng and met his father who shared every lofty emotion that stirred his own soul detained him on the battlefield it was a scene where dread and horror reigned for all save himself who lingered there were held by death or severe wounds the ravens which had followed the wanderers hovered above the corpses and already ventured to swoop nearer to the richly spread banquet the scent of blood had lured the beasts of prey from the mountains and dens in the rocks, and their roaring and greedy growling were heard in all directions. As darkness followed dusk, lights began to flit over the blood-soaked ground. These were to aid the slaves and those who missed a relative to distinguish friend from foe, the wounded from the dead, and many a groan from the breast of some sorely wounded man, mingled with the croaking of the sable birds, and the howls of the hungry jackals and hyenas foxes and panthers but joshua was familiar with the horrors of the battlefield and did not heed them leaning against a rock he saw the same stars rise which had shone upon him before the tent in the camp at tanis when in the sorest conflict with himself he confronted the most difficult decision of his life a month had passed since then yet that brief span of time had witnessed an unprecedented transformation of his whole inner and outer life what has seemed to him grand lofty and worthy of the exertion of all his strength on that night when he sat before the tent where lay the delirious ephraim 
today lay far behind him as idle and worthless. He no longer cared for the honors, dignities, and riches which the will of the whimsical weak king of a foreign people could bestow upon him. What to him was the well-ordered and disciplined army, among whose leaders he had numbered himself with such joyous pride? He could scarcely realize that there had been a time when he aspired to nothing higher than to command more and still more thousands of Egyptians, when his heart had swelled at the bestowal of a new title, or glittering badge of honor, by those whom he held most unworthy of his esteem. From the Egyptians he had expected everything, from his own people nothing. That very night before his tent, the great mass of the men of his own blood had been repulsive to him as pitiful slaves languishing in dishonorable, servile toil. Even the better classes he had arrogantly patronized, for they were but shepherds and as contemptible to the Egyptians, whose opinions he shared. His own father was also the owner of herds, and though he held him in high esteem, it was in spite of his position, and only because his whole character commanded reverence, because the superb old man's fiery vigor won love from everyone, and above all from him, his grateful son. He had never ceased to gladly acknowledge his kinship to him, but in other respects, he had striven to so bear himself among his brothers in arms that they should forget his origin and regard him in everything as one of themselves. His ancestress, Aseneth, the wife of Joseph, had been an Egyptian, and he had boasted of the fact. And now, today? He would have made anyone feel the weight of his wrath who reproached him with being an Egyptian, and what at the last new moon he would only too willingly have cast aside and concealed, as though it were a disgrace, made him on the night of the next new moon, whose stars were just beginning to shine, raise his head with joyous pride. What a lofty emotion it was to feel himself with just complacency, the man he really was. His life and deeds as an Egyptian chief now seemed like a perpetual lie, a constant desertion of his ideal. His truthful nature exulted in the consciousness that the base denial and concealment of his birth was at an end. With joyous gratitude, he felt that he was one of the people whom the Most High preferred to all others, that he belonged to a community, whose humblest members, nay, even the children, could raise their hands in prayer to the God, whom the loftiest minds among the Egyptians, surrounded with the barriers of secrecy, because they considered their people too feeble and dull of intellect to stand before his mighty grandeur and comprehend it. And this one sole God, before whom all the whole motley world of Egyptian divinities sank into insignificance, had chosen him, the son of Nun, from among the thousands of his race, to be the champion and defender of his chosen people, and bestow on him a name that assured him of his aid. No man, he thought, had ever had a loftier aim than, obedient to his God and under his protection, to devote his blood and life to the service of his own people. His black eyes sparkled more brightly and joyously as he thought of it. His heart seemed too small to contain all the love, with which he wished to make amends to his brothers, for his sins against them in former years. True, he had lost to another a grand and noble woman, whom he had hoped to make his own, but this did not in the least sadden the joyous enthusiasm of his soul, for he had long ceased 
to desire her as his wife, high as her image still stood in his mind. He now thought of her with quiet gratitude only, for he willingly admitted that his new life had begun on the decisive night when Miriam set him the example of sacrificing everything, even the dearest object of love, to God and the people. Miriam's sins against him were effaced from his memory, for he was wont to forget what he had forgiven. Now he felt only the grandeur of what he owed her, like a magnificent tree, towering skyward on the frontier of two hostile countries. She stood between his past and his present life. Though love was buried, he and Miriam could never cease to walk hand in hand over the same road toward the same destination. As he again surveyed the events of the past, he could truly say that under his leadership, pitiful bondmen had speedily become brave warriors. In the field they had been willing and obedient, and after the victory, behaved with manliness, and they could not fail to improve with each fresh success. Today it seemed to him not only desirable, but quite possible, to win in battle at their head, a land which they could love and wear, in freedom and prosperity, they could become the able men he desired to make them. Amid the horrors of the battlefield in the moonless night, joy as bright as day entered his heart, and with a low exclamation, God and my people, and a grateful glance upward to the starry firmament, he left the corpse-strewn valley of death, like a conqueror walking over palms and flowers, scattered by a grateful people on the path of victory. End of chapter 28